welcome to the NLPcourses.com show, where we push past the hype and pull back the velvet curtains of creating a successful life with NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. Diving into physiology, neuroscience and linguistic programming so that NLP becomes a practical tool at home and in your career. Moving beyond the techniques so that you can make a name, make money or make a real difference to people's lives. Tune in weekly if you care more than others. Think wisely as we set out on our quest to uncover the secrets of successful people from all walks of life. Make sure you head over to nlpcourses.com to subscribe and receive our free newsletter and other goodies. Here is your host, NLP Master Trainer, John Cassidy Rice. Hello, my name is John Cassidy Rice. I have the pleasure to be your host for this podcast. I'm very excited. I've got a special guest called Ali Knowles, who is a therapist with a lot of passion and a background <laughs> in various different disciplines. And she's come to share her knowledge with us. So welcome, Ali. Thank you very much for having me. I love the passion bit, especially this time in the morning. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we recorded this reasonably early in the morning. And, yeah, thanks, um, John. <laughs> so all yours right excellent excellent so um so what you're known for is ollie with superpowers so before we get into that um, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you become a therapist and (laughs) well in a nutshell i was made redundant that's the honest truth um, for many, many years, um, I worked in demolition companies. Nothing to do with therapy, although arguably there's something therapeutic about knocking buildings down. I would agree. I miss it. And, <laughs> and the reason that I was doing that was um, I left school with not a lot of education through dyslexia, through lack of software, all those things. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was able to communicate. And so I found a sales job and built my way up. But the biggest thing was this lack of self-worth and all of my friends had nice jobs nice cars good good names you know and and I didn't have anything so I built my way up I actually made it to a directorship wow and that meant I had a lovely car nice suits loads of money and every night I could talk about this wonderful contract that I did and hold my own with my peers excellent and I got made redundant which hurt and I had a bit of spare time. And, and I started with hypnotherapy because it's always fascinated me. I thought it was all rubbish and stage trickery. Yes. It's not, guys. There's, it's powerful. It's a very, very useful therapeutic technique. Um, but I didn't intend using it. I was going to go back and, you know, knock more buildings down. But somewhere in the middle of that course, and if anyone takes on a course, be mindful of this. You might be doing it to be a therapist, but it is nine, ten months of therapy. By the end of it, I realized that I had this chip on my shoulder (laughs) and I wasn't really happy. And what I was doing was to fit in and it wasn't working. But I found something in in learning techniques and helping people that I was naturally good at rather than having to fake it. Right. And it kind of took off from there, really. So what happened next was um, I qualified. Don't know how. Dyslexia was fun because lots of written work. I had lots of help. Um, (laughs) I started working with adults because that's what we've been trained to do. But I'm quite childlike, so people brought me their kids. And I realized that telling a kid that they need resilience or they need more self-worth, they could spell it, but they didn't know what it meant. 
Right. And asking them to deal with an emotion. What is an emotion? Where does it live? What does it look like? They had no idea. How can they change something they can't touch or feel? So I had to simplify it. And to be honest, for me and probably anybody else that has any kind of learning disability, simplifying things makes life easier. But then I realized something else. Even people without dyslexia or any other disability um, actually prefer things simple. Yes. So I broke everything down I'd been trained in, because as you know, I then went on to learn NLP, which is incredibly powerful. I did CBT, because you can't not have CBT. And I found myself like a sponge. I just had to have everything, play therapy. But all of it needed simplifying. All of it had really good bits, but none of it had a perfect checklist to work with every child, because they're so individual. But by doing that and taking the best, I could create or have a toolbox that would work for every, every child. So that's what we did, and we called it the Ollie model, and it basically is simplified every therapy out there. <laughs> ah, fabulous. Most powerful thing it does, though, is most therapies fix people. Yes. Which is lovely, because that's where we go. But if you're broken again, broken, you have to go back and be fixed again. Yeah? What we do from the off is we teach young and old how to use the techniques that I've been taught taking it out of the ivory towers, showing them how to do it so they can empower themselves. Yes. Which means they don't need to come back. Absolutely rubbish business model, but it makes you feel good on a Friday night when you know. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Um, For for me, one of the things I think you said there (laughs) that I think is profound is that playful nature, (laughs) Uh, which I I do believe is at the heart of both NLP, hypnosis, Mm. Uh, and sometimes gets lost where people are kind of sort of justifying their yeah. their situation. Yeah. Uh, I think the scientific side is really important, but the playfulness yes. we're often so serious about it. I think it's the role, isn't it? It's when I was younger, the thought of ever seeing a therapist, apart from one, you know, you couldn't afford to see a therapist. Only posh people did that. There was this very grown-up thing. So you kind of had this sense you'd walk into the room and they would naturally look down on you because they were going to be more educated and very, very serious and sit behind a clipboard and tick sheet. But from the beginning of time, we have learned from stories and play. So why reinvent the wheel? We, we can, honestly, young or old, regardless of what they come to see me about, by making it a little bit playful, in the right place, obviously yes. some things are very serious and they need to be taken seriously. Yes. But the greatest way to move on or interrupt any kind of pattern that you don't want to be in, emotional pattern, is laughter and fun. It is. So I, I do use it a lot, but when I'm training other therapists, they try and copy that, and if it's not instinctive to them, it, it's false. So I think going on from making it fun, the key thing as a therapist, a teacher, parent, be you, don't. Don't be someone in a suit with a posh car trying to fit in. Be you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'd agree with that. Because if you've ever read any books about the science of comedy, for example, it's the driest books you'll ever read. (laughs) Yeah, they are. But it works. (laughs) (laughs) So if you've got a, let's say, a child come to see you, they've got some serious things going on in their lives. So could you give us some sort of insight without giving any details away um, of how the the Ollie process would work with somebody. Maybe they come to see you for the first time. Okay, and this is just between you and me, isn't it? Oh, okay. it is, yes, and, uh, <laughs> and all the people listening. Okay. Yeah, I want to share it because 
I, you know, this, this isn't Ali on a pedestal. This is let's make the change our kids need because it's the only thing that's going to make our world right in my mind. Normally, when you go to a therapist, they make the issue or you make the issue about you. And certainly with children, they'll, they'll come in and I'll say, what's wrong? Yes. And they'll say, I'm angry. How do you know you're angry? I've been told I'm angry. Now, that's an adult's perception of how that child's behaving. Oh, that looks like anger. He must be angry. Yes. But, do you know, that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg of probably what's going on with that child. But kids are too young to understand. Actually, I feel guilty and a little remorse and, you know, my low self-worth. They can't do that. And because they can't deal with what an emotion is, you, you really struggle to get any further. So the first thing I needed to do was break down that generalisation because if I just try and talk to a child who's hell-bent, they're just angry, I'm not going to get anywhere. No. And, and pure by play and chance, because it amused me one day just to do it, because that's kind of how it works with me. What I did with this one lad who was angry, I just said, mm, how do you know you're angry? And when I made him really think about it, he said, well, I get this feeling in my stomach. NLP. I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I said, can I, can I, and I just reached in with his permission, of course, and I pulled out and went, oh, hello, angry. And the child just looked at me, gone out. And what I'd done is my hand is quite small and cupped. I've made angry small. I pulled it away from the child. I've disassociated it from the child. Now I can say, what's going on? Why are you so angry? And once the child has stopped thinking I'm a complete loon and decides to join in, it's easier for the child to tell me what's wrong with this part than what's wrong with them for loads of reasons. It might be something they don't want to disclose. They don't want to get into trouble. Maybe something they don't understand. NLP again. Now, I don't know why you're angry, and this little lad doesn't know why you're angry, but if we were to know, if we were, powerful word, and the strangest thing happened, and it was pure flute when I did this the first time, the little lad said, He's angry because he's got a new baby brother and everyone loves him more. Bang. Now, with CBT and every other therapy I'd done, that would have taken months if I could have got anywhere near it. But then you can take it a stage further because what I could do at that point is go back to old school and say, right, what you need to do, young man, is grow some (laughs) self-worth and some resilience and get over yourself, baby brother. But what I did was say, hmm, yeah, that's a biggie, isn't it? And I just turned to the lad and said, how can we make him feel better about that? What do you think? By doing that, the child had to consider the option that it could be made better, and he went inside and thought about it. And he then told me what would make him feel better about having this baby brother. Yes. He solved his own problem. Bang. Yeah, such a powerful way that it's the... It's amazing how much resource and people have their own answers and giving them that space to find it. And I think it's a, it's a trap that lots of therapists fall into, and I'm sure you've seen it as well as being the trainer that you are, um, that we can't help but give our own opinion or predict what's going on in that person's world. Well, yes. I'll give you a classic example. This young lass was brought to me um, really, really upset, crying all the time. And mum said, this is my fault. Mum, me and dad have split up. He's moved away. She's distraught. She's missing yeah. him. This is When I actually did the part thing and pulled it out she said actually I am sad dad's gone and I'm sad mum and dad are split up but the thing that's really hurting me is I've just made the hockey team and without dad we haven't got a car and I can't get there oh yeah but she didn't want to tell mum because that sounded really selfish but in a child's mind that's all that mattered yeah it's so important those little things (laughs) I thought it was class yeah hockey (laughs) (laughs) but that's what I mean about 
too often we predict, we, we do it as parents and as teachers, we shouldn't do it as therapists. Most therapists are trained not to do that and to step into that person's model of the world, but we all fall into that trap. Yes. What you need, what I would do, no. no, no, no. And sometimes it makes us feel good to have an answer. Of course it does. Yes. But then, and again, this is a very personal opinion, because I'm starting training people now, and I know you're a long way down the road, sort of master on this, but one of the key things that I'm going to drill home is I do not want your opinion. I want your ears. Listen yes. to what they're saying. Listen to what they're telling you, and then ask them the questions. Two ears, one mouth. Use them, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's... um. When you go in for an NLP course or hypnotherapy or any training, in fact, it's, um, yeah. I think one of the key things that the trainer, which is I feel much more as a guide, has to keep in mind is discovery is more powerful than giving somebody the answer. Oh, completely. And, I mean, let's just look at this. As much as uh, what's happening in schools is a whole never podcast, but that's kind of what we're doing, isn't it? We're, yes. we're kind of saying, right, this is the answer to that question. We'll, we'll hit the stats and, you know, everyone will be really happy with us. But imagination, we have one for a purpose. Yes. Working something through, doing it yourself is far more rewarding than someone fixing you. But you have to go back to be fixed again. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Right. And I think that's also a process of being a, a be allowing to make mistakes. Yeah. You don't have to be right. And I, 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 that's all, I think that's a massive, massive part of it. I, I, as you know, I've written a couple of books about Ollie for, to work with schools and parents. And when I started writing, I said, I, I don't know what to write. I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> and this lovely lady said, well, you have to start getting it wrong before you can ever get it right. So just get something down on the page. That will yes. be wrong. And only from that will you know it's wrong and get it right. Yes. Completely through me, but so right. Yeah. I was, I was, I asked a writer, so what's the secret of writing? And they did say um, the secret of writing is to write badly. Yeah, completely. Because how can you ever get it right unless you get it wrong? Yeah. yeah. Fabulous. So <laughs> sounds like you use a lot of metaphors and stories as well. Yeah. And again, that's, that's just instinctive in me. It, but by default, everything I do is by default. And some, some people are lovely and say, oh, well done, Ali. No, not at all. It's, it's just complete default. We've, we've learned from the beginning of time, cavemen, drawings on walls, pictures, storybooks, sitting around a campfire. That's how we used to learn. Yeah. Metaphors, stories. It's so powerful and it's engaging. Definitely. Oh, it definitely. You to use your imagination. <laughs> well, uh, I suppose the tie between hypnotherapy and NLP would be Milton Erickson. Yes. Um, and no. Yeah. There are, <laughs> I remember when um, I first started down this road and, and all these great names, the giants whose shoulders we stand on. Oh, yes. Um, and again, I'd sit there listening and depending on who's training you, they'd have their favourite and why and yeah. you know how, how important he is. And I'd go, yeah, get that, get that, like that. But then you had people like Mr. Bandler. Oh, yes. And I, I remember everybody in my course, no, 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 because of his style and his technique, which is interesting. But... His style and technique I could relate to more because it was earthy, it was natural, it was, well, it perceived to be. It engaged with more people. It allowed yes. more people to feel that they could actually even take part in his conversation. So I think with the Giants, all of them brought something magnificent, but oh, it's definitely what works for you. Yes. And I, that kind of, uh, for me, it comes back to one of the things I like about um, uh, Richard Bann and John Grinder as well is yes. their humour and fun to what they do. 
if you go into any classroom and I witness it most days now and you can have the best teacher in the world and they're stood at the front and they're dictating or preaching in a very sane voice and you will listen and learn. And then you have the history teacher that comes in and says, yeah, and what happened was when the fires were going off, everybody had to run and it was really, which one are you going to remember? Which one is going to ignite your imagination and which one are you going to learn from? We've got a teacher, we remember and why. (laughs) Excellent. So I know you've got this new venture. You've mentioned it briefly about uh, starting to train people in the methodology. Yeah. yeah. So so where's that at the moment? Oh, right. Um, thank you for asking. Um, we actually launched, and I'm very, very scared, but in a really good way, uh, in a week's time. It's, it's been a while coming. Yes. And what was happening was, in the beginning, I just sought out other therapists that had NLP backgrounds to teach them the early model. Okay. Because it was growing, schools wanted it, we didn't have enough therapists. And that works well, but a lot of these guys are then set in their ways with the training that they've had and that they're comfortable with. And we all do it. You can be taught 10 techniques, but we've got a favourite we're going to use yeah. every time. And, and it was really good. We found some fantastic therapists on that route. But we do a lot of talks in schools and for parents' groups just to introduce the idea, because I want everyone speaking Ollie, not just the kids, so that the kids can use it. And I had parents coming up and saying, I'd love to do this, but, you know, I haven't got a degree. I don't have it. I was thinking, that's me. I'd love to do this, but I don't have a degree. So I decided, you know what? Why don't we open a school, an Ollie school, that the background and, and I guess the backbone of it is NLP, which is pretty much what Ollie is, although there's other things in there. Oh, yeah, definitely. But we thread Ollie all the way through it. So at the end, anybody can, not anybody, can go from whatever their day job is now. And I've got everything. I've got police officers, teachers, mums, dads. I've got a trucker. I'm so proud of my trucker. (laughs) And at the end of it, they're going to have their NLTP certification and there'll be an Ollie coach. And and the way that we've gone about this and the way that I've chosen who's joined us, because we haven't gone for bums on seats at all. We're looking for a small group so we can give them everything they need. And it's, I can teach you how, but you have to have the why. And when I've been interviewing people to join us, if they haven't got the why, and as selfish as it is, it doesn't hit a heartstring in me because I know what I envisage Ollie to be. Oh, absolutely. And that's how we pick people. And we found some amazing people that we're going to have coaches in, in less than a year's time because we call ourselves coaches, not therapists, to get rid of that label for kids that nobody's seen before. Right. They're a whole new breed of down-to-earth, I'm not going to fix you, let me support you, grow you, and empower you. What a lovely idea. Oh, fabulous. It sounds great. <laughs> so if I'm listening to this podcast and I sort of would like to find out more, where would I need to go to find out about the trainings, about Ollie? Okay, we, we have a web page, and that's www. I have to be careful the dyslexia comes in, although I can't get that bit wrong. www.ollieandhissuperpowers.com. And if you go to that site, there's all of our contact details. There's details about um, the Ollie School, but also about um, if you're already a therapist, we do a slightly shorter training course that might be of more interest. Um, how parents can get involved, teachers can get involved. And a lot more about the techniques and obviously stuff from people that are using this from teachers and parents telling you what they think about it rather than me waxing on, which I think is quite important and powerful. 
Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And um, what we'll do, we'll also put the links on the websites and, uh, so people can go ahead and find that. Uh, so a final question, because uh, one of the things, that, uh, benefits in my life is that I'm also dyslexic. So what insight have you taken from your life from being dyslexic that would be worth sharing with somebody who thinks that they may have a bit of dyslexia or be dys- dyslexic? I think not just the dyslexia, but anything that you consider any kind of disability. Um, it's not great. It'd be better not to have it. But here's the thing I've learned. For every disability, there is an ability you just don't realise you've got. Mm. My inability to spell, if I'd been able to spell and read really well, I'd be a lawyer or I'd be building rockets. I was born to be a therapist. And if it hadn't been for my dyslexia, I wouldn't be sat here doing what I'm doing now. I think everything happens for a reason. That's not a religious thing. That's a fact thing. Yes. My dyslexia has opened doors that I would never have got through without it. In me, as well as the world. And I think everybody that's got that thing that they think's holding them back, if it is holding you back, it's because you're going the wrong way. Listen to it. Yes. Oh, fabulous. That reminds me, I think the quote's from a guy called David Freeman, who is... um, probably one of the most famous people you've never heard of. He essentially <laughs> makes Hollywood movies work. Ooh. And the reason I like him is I come across one of his quotes that said, he said, you know the thing that made you weird as a kid? The trick to life is to make life pay you for that. Yeah. <laughs> and he uh-huh. said, the thing, thing that made me weird was um, I loved watching movies and deconstructing them. Fair play, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think one of these um, sort of things, philosophies on life is that anything that you think is holding you back is actually a gift. One of my favourite sayings is, if it's not going right, go left. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. I love that. Thank you ever so much for your time, Ali. Oh, thank and, you. Um, Pleasure as always. Anybody who's interested, please do contact her. She's full of enthusiasm <laughs> even this time in the morning yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we haven't mentioned it's your TEDx speaker so you know the word's yes. getting out there so yeah thank you thank you for your time All right. until you. next time see you soon thanks for tuning in you were just listening to the nlpcourses.com podcast show if you enjoyed the show please leave a review on iTunes and make sure to head over to nlpcourses.com to subscribe to our newsletter. This will ensure you are kept fully up to date on the latest in-depth NLP topics of interest. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes on neuro-linguistic programming and beyond.